book of John, chapter 19. This is always one of the very best times of the year because our total concentration is focused in on, on what Jesus did for, for us on the cross. I'd like to talk to you today about the road to the cross. If you were here last week, I said to you that the first half of the book of John uh, talks about the life of Jesus up until, that, uh, up until the last day. Uh, most of the last half of the book of John talks about just one single day in the life of our Lord. Uh, the, uh, the, the culmination of his ministry, the purpose for which he came into the church, uh, which he came into the world and uh, now into the church. John chapter 19, we're going to begin reading today in verse number 14. If you didn't bring your Bible, there, there might be a red one there near you, underneath the chair in front of you, and I think it's on page 730. Verse 14 says, Now it was the preparation day of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Surely I crucify your king, or shall I? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Now that's very interesting because uh, that was uh, one of their boldest lies. They didn't care anything about Caesar. But at this point, they said, Listen, Caesar's our king. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in the Hebrew, in Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garments and made, divided them into four parts, to each soldier, soldier apart. And also the tunic. Now the tunic was without a seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, throw dice. Uh, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Lots of Marys back in that day. Here we find four ladies standing at the cross, three of them named Mary. Then Jesus therefore saw his mother and, his, and the disciple, and that's John, whom he loved, standing by. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own house. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. 
and bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Uh, the road of the cross. I want to encourage you when you go home to read uh, the previous chapter, John 18, and with John chapter 19, uh, because the story of, uh, of the interview of Jesus with Pilate is given in those two chapters. To me, it's a, it's a story within a story. Uh, to me, Pilate was a reluctant participant. Uh, when you read about Pilate, you always, it's almost like I feel so sorry for him. He just couldn't get out of this thing. He tried his best to get out of crucifying Jesus, putting his stamp of approval on the death of Christ. And they kept pushing him, and he, kept, he was so slippery, and he kept trying another tactic, but every tactic he tried, it failed. Remember, his wife came to him and said, listen, don't become involved in this. As much as it's good oftentimes to listen to your wives. Wives, can I hear an amen? amen. Yeah, good. That was enthusiastic. Uh, Pilate should have listened to his wife. She said, listen, don't become involved in this. Um, and uh, when, when he interviewed him on one occasion, Jesus wouldn't answer him back. And I found that really strange when I was reading the story. He wouldn't answer him back. And it was for a purpose, uh, to fulfill a prophecy. Isaiah 53, 7 is the biographical sketch of our Lord's life. Let's, let's kind of read this together this morning. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Uh, Pilate was talking to him, and Jesus just wouldn't answer him, and of course that was predicted a long time ago. It's interesting, as you read John chapter 18 and John chapter 19, how many times Pilate said, I, have no, I, I find no fault in him, I find no about three times. Remember, he even went through the ceremony of washing his hands in front of the people and said, I'm innocent of the blood of this righteous person. He worked all the angles, and I'm sure he was good at angles. And then he kind of came up with a, a good solution. He said, at this time of the year, we usually release somebody to you. Why don't you just let me release Jesus to you? And they said, no, uh, release who? Barabbas, right? Well, he ran out of options. And then they finally laid on him the fact that if he didn't do this for them, if he didn't put his stamp of approval on the death of Christ, uh, he was going to be looked at by Caesar as a co-conspirator uh, uh, with all of these zealots around trying to overthrow Rome. And, of course, that pushed him over the brink. First of all, in this section for today, I want to talk to you about the walk to the cross. Verse 16 and 17, the Bible says he carried his cross. Uh, he carried it. Now, this uh, we have seen in picture and type before in the Old Testament. Remember the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. Isaac was a type of Christ. He followed his father without a word of resistance to the place of sacrifice. And Genesis 22.6 goes on record to say this. Let's read it. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and two of them went together father and son the wood on his son and so now we have uh, the type realized in Jesus Christ father and son going together and the wood is on the son Jesus 
divine determination. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac was, Abraham was the leader, and so it is here. God the Father was leading his son to the cross. Well, you know, whenever we read about crucifixion, we do it so casually. We just really don't know what it's all about, but most of us went to see the movie The Passion of Christ, and after that we never wanted to see it again, right? Well, crucifixion was the most feared death in the ancient world. I understand that Roman citizens were actually exempt from being crucified because it was such a hideous way to die. I also found out that crucifixion was born in Persia, not to surprise me, modern-day Iran. Uh, they believed that the earth was sacred, and so they crucified people up on a pole and then left the final work to the vultures so that nothing got on the ground. Well, Paul talked about this a little later after the crucifixion in Philippians 2.8. Let's read this this morning. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The last part of the sentence is kind of interesting. Even the death of the cross. You know, there are different ways to die in different circumstances. This is the worst right here. Paul said, even the cross. Well, whenever he was uh, carrying the cross, uh, he became weak. And the reason why he was weak is because he was scourged or he was flogged. And way back in Deuteronomy chapter 25, the Bible says that there was a limit about how many lashes a scourging or a flogging uh, could, could have. Forty. And oftentimes uh, they didn't have to crucify anybody after they were flogged because the work had already been done. Uh, somebody could die very easily just being scourged. Well, if they didn't die, then they took them to the cross. And they took them a long route, and we know that route today as the Via, what? Della Rosa, right? The Way of Sorrows. And if you go to, Dale was in Jerusalem with me. Uh, when you go to Jerusalem, they'll walk you through the Via Della Rosa, the Way of Sorrows. And it was a long route, really, and they did that purposely. Uh, they wanted as many people as possible to see the criminals as they took them to the cross because it really cut down on the crime rate. It really did. And the whole message is this could happen to you if you break the law. I understand also that in this possession it could be halted uh, by a person um, kind of giving a testimony that this person was innocent and the, and the case would be even retried, even interrupting this whole cross situation. But this wasn't going to happen here because this was a kangaroo court. And nobody was coming to the aid of Jesus. Remember he said uh, the, sh the sheep, the flock are going to be scattered. Well, the true ordeal of the cross, you know, whenever we think of that, we think of the physical ordeal, the scourging, uh, the crucifixion, the physical part of it. But the, the real pain of it was more than that. It was spiritual. Because here we find uh, God the Son uh, being in some way, we cannot explain, being severed from God the Father uh, for a period of time. They went to a place called Golgotha, the Hebrew word for skull. If you go to Jerusalem today, uh, they'll take you to Golgotha. 
And if you stand back far enough, you'll see uh, this place on the side of the mountain. That there's sockets, like for eyes, and it looks just like a skull. The Calvary is the Latin word for skull. And when they went in the process of it all, there were there were the company of of criminals. When he got to the cross, uh, he fulfilled another passage of scripture, Isaiah fifty three twelve. Let's read this. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and shall spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Boy, that says a lot. He was numbered with them. And there he was with these two criminals. One of those criminals insulted Jesus and the other one asked for forgiveness or to be saved. Sometimes people say, will you go visit my friend? They're about to die. Well, that's called deathbed repentance. And every now and then, uh, somebody will accept the Lord on their deathbed. Uh, The thief on the cross did. He just got in right under the wire. Remember? You remember what he said to the Lord? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today. Boy, those were beautiful words. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Uh, but then there was this writing on the cross, uh, this, uh, this inscription up there. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, that was the record against him. If you were here last Sunday, I told you that whenever people died on the cross, they put the crimes that they were dying for so that people could just see why are they dying on the cross. What, uh, what caused this? And they would put a parchment and they would nail it to the cross And so this was what Jesus was dying for right here. He was the king of the Jews. That was the record against him. Um, Remember when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, the wise men came from the east and they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And so throughout his ministry, that that statement came up, king of the Jews. Uh, This is why they suspected him. This is why they, this is why they didn't care at all about Jesus because they didn't want another king on the scene. But now the world would know his claim. Hundreds of people traversed the way of the cross. And it was written in Hebrew. That's the language of the Jews. And uh, remember when Jesus came, he came first of all to the Jewish nation. John chapter 1, verse 11, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. He came to the Jews. Uh, and then he, the, the writing was in uh, Latin. That was the official language. And also in Greek, and that was the commercial language. Uh, and so in these languages, we have both of the major elements of the world, the Jews and those who are left over, the Gentiles. And so in the Jewish language and in the Gentile languages, he is being crucified for being the king of the Jews. Well, whenever they saw that sign up there, they protested. Uh, Change the sign, they said. Uh, And uh, Pilate had a tremendous resolve. He said, the sign's staying just as I wrote it. You know, I almost see here a thought of goodness in Pilate. Uh, There's something inside of him that believes this claim that Jesus is the, uh, the king of the Jews. 
Uh, I think in so many ways, Pilate believed in Jesus. I think he really did. He was awestruck. In fact, the Bible says he was afraid. He knew Jesus was special. Now, Jesus talked about a grain of wheat falling into the ground and dying. And uh, it had to do that in order to produce fruit. And here we find Jesus going to be placed in the ground to produce fruit in the lives of the Jews and the Gentiles. And you and I are living proof today that that uh, grain grew in the ground once it was planted. Well, Pilate got the last say, and he left a sign up there. They said, why don't you just add something to it? Just, just say, he says he is the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, that won't do. I, I'm just going to keep it the way I wrote it. He's the king of the Jews. And then there were the women at the cross. Uh, where were the guys? Well, there was just one there, and that was John. That's why Hal likes John so much. He stuck with him to the end here. Uh, but there were the women at the cross. And uh, his mother was there. Verse 25. Oh, boy. You know, a mother's love is able to transcend almost anything. You know, they get above almost anything. And uh, he loved her, of course. Uh, and I'm sure that as Jesus looked down from the cross and he saw his mother there, uh, he remembered uh, the story of when she took him to the temple and presented him to the Lord. And um, whenever, remember in Luke chapter 2, whenever we have that story, there was this guy in town named Simon. And the Holy Spirit said to him, listen, you've got to get over to the temple because the person that you've been waiting to see before you die is really here. He's the Messiah. You know, there are some people in the world, maybe, maybe you today, that if you could just have a few things happen, you'd be ready to die. I've had people tell me that I'm just waiting on this and then I can go. Most of the time, it has something to do with the spirituality of their kids. <laughs> you know, if all my kids are in line spiritually, I, I'll be, I'm ready to check out. Well, Simon, he wanted to see the coming of the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit said to him, listen, hurry, get over to the temple. Your desire is taking place right over there. And so he ran over there and he saw the Messiah. And he had a word for Mary. And this is what he said. Mary, he said, a sword will pierce through your soul. You know, mothers have a lot of ups and downs in life. Amen? They really do. Uh, you know, they go through every up and down that their kids go through, and that's a lot. And they, it never gets better, mothers. I'm sorry I had to tell you that. You were thinking, boy, if I could just get my kids out of your house, you never get them out of your house. As long as they know your address. They're never out of your house. You might say, boy, I just, I just kind of like, if I could just get them graduated from high school, that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, and then if I could get them through college, uh, they wouldn't cost me so much money. Don't ever believe that. Don't ever believe that. Uh, they're always with you. You're stuck. You started it. They didn't. But um, Mary stuck with her with her boy, Jesus. Uh, Jesus, she was there when Jesus performed his first miracle. And uh, she went with Jesus through the good times and bad times. And now, uh, the, the word of, of Simon is true. The sword started to pierce through her heart. What could be worse than seeing your son die on the cross? Her sister was there uh, too, Salome. Her, she's not mentioned here, but she was there. And then there was Mary Magdalene. 
And uh, how many people here know what, what miracle Jesus performed on her? If you know, just raise your hand, quite a few of you. Lord, out of her, Jesus cast how many demons? Seven. I'll tell you what, she knew what life was uh, in the raw. She knew the wickedness of life. And so Mary Magdalene, someone told me one time, those who are forgiven most are most converted. She knew what her life used to be before she met Christ. And I'll tell you what, she, wasn't, she was sticking with Jesus to the end. And she appreciated what Jesus did for her. Why could these women, though, why could these women stand there at the cross in the midst of all this? Well, the Bible says perfect love cast out fear. Uh, these people were so in love with Jesus that they were not afraid. John, uh, these four women, as they stood there. And then there were the words of the cross. Uh, the words to Mary. Look at verse 25 with me. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by her, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Uh, Jesus was dispatching his obligation to his mom. It is believed that uh, Joseph was dead at this time and, and uh, she was left by herself. And uh, he looked down at her and uh, he makes for her provision. And she, he says to her, woman, behold your son. Uh, referring to John. My uh, disciple John is now going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. He's going to be your guardian. From, uh, a good son. A good son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. He made that connection for her at the cross. Uh, I'm going to take care of you. And John is going to be the one through whom I take care of you. You know, taking care of older parents is a job that everybody, everybody faces. And, and uh, I think it's the hardest job in all the world. And seldom does a, a week go by that uh, we don't have to, in our church, uh, hear a story of someone that may have to place their father or their mother in a nursing home. And I'll tell you what, there's, that is the hardest thing, I think, in all the world to do. Uh, that will break your heart time and time and over and over again. But, uh, but the good thing is we do what we can do and... Uh, that's the care that we, that we have to have. I remember when my mother was going through that time and, and uh, she was in the hospital and I told the doctor, oh, I'm taking her home. I, I, he wanted to give me a mental examination. He knew I couldn't take care of her, but I didn't. I didn't. I found out a few, a few weeks later I couldn't. I said, if I don't get some, something doesn't change here, I'm, I'm going to be in the hospital. But we take care of our older parents, and, and uh, that's a good thing. That's the way it should be, because every time I used to go to the nursing home and look in the eyes of my mother, I remember what she did for me when I couldn't take care of myself. I remember what she did for me. And so here's Jesus. He's not letting his mother, he's not leaving his mother out. And then he, uh, then he talks to the guards and he's, the soldiers and he says, I thirst. And they were throwing dice for his clothes. 
Um, and then he had this, uh, this robe that, uh, that had no seams in it. And uh, it was a robe like the high priest wore. And so when Jesus came on into the, into the world, he came as a prophet, he came as a priest, and one day he's coming, what? As a, as a king. And so they, uh, they gambled for his clothes. And I find out the reason why they did uh, is because clothes were very expensive. And uh, this was part of the pay of the soldiers who uh, participated in the crucifixion. They looked forward to getting the clothes of the person that they were crucifying. Uh, to fulfill Psalm 22:18 says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. It's interesting, as you, as you follow the road to the cross, you find that just at all, almost every juncture, every corner, there was a fulfillment of prophecy. All of this was prophesied in advance, just exactly how it was going to happen when Jesus died on the cross. Uh, he said, I thirst. And then he said... He speaks to the Father when he said it is finished. I understand that uh, the way that this word is constructed, that it was, a, that it was a, a loud statement that Jesus was making on the cross. Right before he died, he mustered every bit of energy and strength that he could get. And with a loud shout, he said, it is finished. Let's say it together. It is finished. If you were to go to Athens, Greece, down in the market, and buy something as a tourist, they m might give you a receipt. And on the receipt, it could say, paid in full. And the Greek word is to telestai. That's the word used right here. So when Jesus died upon the cross, he said, paid in full. And what he meant by that is this. Every sin of every person who has ever lived for all time was paid in full upon the cross. Everything was paid that was needed to be paid for your soul's salvation. Every single sin paid in full. Sometimes people say, well, you know, isn't there something I need to do to, uh, in order to be saved? No, the reason why, because it's all been done. That's why. It is done. It is finished. You can't add anything to something that is finished. And so when we come to Christ, we can't come and say, hey, listen, you know, I've had a bad life, and so I'm going uh, to serve you with all my strength, and maybe that and my commitment to you, and all of it working together will be good enough for me to go to heaven. There's nothing that we can give God for our salvation because God has already received it from his son, Jesus. And so the only thing that we can give God is our sins, and that's all he wants. We offer him our sin, he gives us his righteousness. I call it the great exchange. You can't beat a deal like that. It's the best deal in town. Uh, it's, it's an offense to God if you try to give him anything for salvation because it's already been given on the cross. It's done. It's finished. It's over. Well, it's finished. This is a cry of a winner. He satisfied the demands of justice. He demonstrated how much he loved the world. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. This is why we want to give our life to the Lord. 
This is why we want to serve in the rest of our life because, because he did for us what no one else could do. He paid our sin debt to God so that we could go free. We're off the hook, folks. We're off the hook. All of our sins are forgiven through Christ. Simply by us placing our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, whenever we, when we come to grips with that, we realize, listen, we're not saved by work, but we're saved to work. How about an amen on that? We're saved to work. We don't work our way to heaven. That's already been done on the cross. But when we get saved, then we're ready to go to work for the Lord. That's what keeps us going from week to week and from month to month, serving the Lord because we love him so much, we can never in this life repay him for what he's done for us. Well, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom when Jesus died. And that simply was a statement by God to say to you and me, come on in. Come on in. The way is open now. Jesus has opened the way into the Holy of Holies. And so never before since that time can, could somebody come to God like we can come to him now. Come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter when it is, you can come to God in prayer in the name of Jesus and God will listen to you. That's a wonderful thing. We don't have to stand back and wait for the high priest to sneak in behind the veil. There is no more veil. It's torn from the top to the bottom by God. There is no obstacle for our presence in God's sight. I told, I think I mentioned this last week, one guy in the community, his wife says, hey, listen, come on, we're going to go to confession. Aren't you going today? He said, no, I already did that. It's already done. You know, wherever we are, we can speak to the Lord about any need of our life, right? Because the veil of the temple had been torn from the top to the bottom. Well, the only earthly throne this king ever had was a cross. And the hearts of his subjects who have enthroned him. I like to think that when I invited Jesus into my life that I put him on the throne of my life. I like to think when I look into my heart that I see Jesus there sitting on the throne of my heart. I like to come to him in the morning and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? It's not about me. It's about you. You're the leader now. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to have Christ on the throne of your heart. Someone said, everybody will worship something or somebody. Well, it's great when you find the one that worship is supposed to be all about, and that's the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. The only throne that Jesus ever had was, uh, was the cross. And then the hearts of his subjects. I wonder today if you are here and maybe you have never enthroned Christ on the throne of your heart. Maybe you're still in charge. Maybe you wake up in the morning and say, okay, what will I do today? I'll make my decisions. Well, you know, it can be different than that. That's a poor way to live life, really. You could be able to get up in the morning and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? I see you sitting on, my, on the throne of my heart, and I'll do what you want me to do today because I'm your servant. And I'm going to eternally be appreciative to you for dying on the cross for my sins. And I'm going to tell people, I'm going to tell people, 
about what you've done for me on the cross. Dear Lord, I pray today that as we assimilate, as we soak in your word and and all of this scene that has taken place right now, uh, on on the day of crucifixion, I pray that you'll make it real to every single person here in our church. I pray it will be a real time for them. I pray for those in our church today that do not know you. They're not saved. They were, uh, they're, they're here today, and that means they're seeking you, and they, they're trying to come to you, Lord. I pray that you'll, this will be the day you'll draw them right in by your love and show them how much you care for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.